the 94th Psalm, which is a really um, direct psalm about God's role as judge. God's role as judge. We want to talk about God being the judge of the earth tonight and look at some very clear and striking statements about this role that the Lord fulfills. Look there with me. Psalm 94, verse 1. The Bible says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who has formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They, that they are but a breath. Then in verse 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord, now watch this, will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. We'll get to the rest as we journey through this psalm. But let's just pause there and let's pray and ask God to draw near and bless this time together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for yet another opportunity to gather with open Bibles and to study your word. Truth with no mixture of error. And we just ask that you would speak to our lives, uh, Lord, by your word, apply to our hearts, by your spirit, that we might understand your word, be moved by your word, and that we might, Lord, uh, align our hearts with your word. And so, Lord, just have your way in our midst. Change our lives. Lord, I pray that everything that happens on this campus tonight would be glorifying to you. I pray that your hand would rest upon us and that you would bless. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. We love you tonight and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What's the context of this psalm? It mentions God being a God of vengeance. And the writer of the psalm, we don't know who it is, but the writer of the psalm is calling out for God to judge the wicked. And it says there in verse 4, they, they pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. So the psalmist here is writing on behalf of Israel and saying, there are these wicked folks oppressing your people, God. They're making our life miserable. They're mistreating us. And, and we want you, Lord, to rise up and judge them, to do something about it. Now, theologians call this kind of psalm an imprecatory psalm, which means they are praying for God to pour out His wrath on a group of people. Serious business, right? And, and so the, the psalmist here is saying, we are your people, God, and we are being oppressed, mistreated. Uh, we are going through deep oppression. And so, God, would you rise up and do something about these wicked folks who are harming us? That is what this psalm is about. Warren Wearsby sums it up by saying this, This psalm deals with the seeming triumph of the wicked and the unjust treatment of the helpless. So the psalmist is saying, how long? I mean, it, it, we look around and the wicked are getting away with their wickedness. 
And we're suffering. How long is this going to last, God? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see the evil? Aren't you going to do something about it? That's the, the cry of this psalm. And then James Montgomery Boyce writes, The earth, in the context of this psalm, the earth is not a place for perfect justice. The psalmist is looking around and saying, where is the justice? I see injustice. I see oppression. I see wickedness everywhere. Uh, God, are you going to do anything about it? That, that is the context of this psalm. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through just two aspects of this psalm. Unlike most Baptist preachers, it's a two-point, not a three-point sermon tonight. All right? Just wanted you to know that. And, and just two aspects of this psalm that really... Uh, jump out from the text. First of all, first aspect, here it is. God is going to judge the wicked. God is going to judge the wicked. It says there in verse 1, O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. The, the word vengeance there does not carry with the idea of revenge, God trying to get folks back. The idea of vengeance is God meeting out his perfect justice against evil. He's, he's rightly punishing those who have rebelled against him. That's the idea of that word vengeance. O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth. Now that is a very clear picture of God as judge. I remember years ago, there was a very short-lived, praise the Lord, very short-lived TV show on NBC called God, the Devil, and Bob. And it was sort of an animated, funny-type show. And God in that show was portrayed as kind of this um, older man with a long white beard. Kind of, he looked kind of like a Santa Claus figure, and he had on a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip-flops. And he was just kind of a cool, easy-going you know, dude, and that was the, the perception, the portrayal of the God of the universe. Doesn't sound much like Psalm 94, does it? It calls him a God of vengeance, a judge of all the earth. Now, you might have heard people say, well, God is love. And I am thrilled to say to you this tonight that God is absolutely love. First John 4 says, God is is love. Aren't you glad that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm grateful that God is love. I'm grateful that God loves me. I'm grateful that God loves you. I'm grateful that God loves everyone. But the Bible is clear. If people reject His offer of grace, deliverance, salvation, then they will not experience Him as a God of love they will experience him as a God of vengeance. And that is a terrifying prospect. That instead of him embracing you as your father, you stand before him and he is your judge. And so the Bible is clear. God is going to judge the wicked. It calls him there uh, in verse 2, the the judge of the earth. The judge of the earth. Now, there are two different ways that God's judgment is manifest. The first is what we'll call the temporal judgment of God, which is His judgment on uh, the earth, on people on the earth, uh, during this lifetime. So an example might be 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? The city was so wicked, it was rampant with immorality. Uh, and so God chose to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with hail, fire, and brimstone. And he absolutely decimated those cities and destroyed them because of the wickedness taking place in those cities. That was God's temporal judgment in this life, uh, in human history, because of wickedness. And God has the prerogative, if he sees something that he wants to address, uh, he has the prerogative to judge things in a temporal manner, to judge people, to, to judge uh, situations here on this earth in human history. He's done it before. He will do it again. And so God is a God who will judge temporally. But God also will judge eternally. The Bible speaks of temporal judgment and eternal judgment. Let me show you what eternal judgment looks like. Turn to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, and turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. The Apostle John had been given this vision of the unfolding of the end-time scenario. And in this vision that was given to John in the first century, he sees what happens at the end of all things just before God ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. And it says there in Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white Throne. You may have heard of the great white throne of judgment. That comes from this passage. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. He's so holy, so majestic. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And look at verse 15. And it, you just can't get much more clear than this. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's eternal judgment. That's eternal hell. That's eternal separation from God in a place where there's conscious torment. The Bible describes it in the Gospels as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The place where the worm does not die. It's an awful, awful reality. And the Bible says that God will justly cast people into the eternal lake of fire because they did not receive His way of salvation, Jesus Christ. And because they did not receive Jesus Christ, their name was not written in the book of life. And so they were judged eternally. Now, this is, this, is, this is real. This is serious business, isn't it? I saw a t-shirt years ago that said, Eternity is long, don't be wrong. This is serious business. I mean, you're talking about heaven or hell. The presence of God forever or 
the eternal lake of fire. This is serious business. And it's a reminder that God is going to judge the wicked. So we see the Bible speaking of temporal judgment and eternal judgment, which leads to the second aspect of Psalm 94. So that just took a few minutes, first point. So second point's going to take just a few minutes. We'll be done, right? You don't look convinced. All right. Second point may take a little bit longer. Because the, back in Psalm 94, the sure judgment of God raises some questions. Even as I was preaching that about temporal eternal judgment, you probably had some questions rising in your heart and your mind. So what are some questions that are raised by the fact that God is going to judge the wicked? I think some of those questions show up in Psalm 94. The psalmist writing this has some questions about God being the judge. And, and these, these questions surface, all right? So what's the first question about God uh, judging, the sure judgment of God? Number one, how long will he wait to usher in judgment? Look what he says there back in Psalm 94, verse 3. Lord, you're the judge of all the earth. We're being oppressed. And he says in verse 3, O Lord... How long shall the wicked, uh, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow, the sojourner, murder the fatherless. And in other words, they are, they are uh, oppressing those who are helpless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And so, the psalmist here is saying, God, don't you see what's happening here? Why are you withholding judgment? I mean, you could just instantly end all this. So how long? Are you going to end it now? Are you going to end it next week? Are you going to end it next month? Is it going to go on for years? And, and, and sometimes, if we're honest, we feel the same way. I mean, if you just look at the headlines of the daily news, you could come up with a litany of evil, couldn't you? And you look at all that, that's happening around the world, in our society, in our nation, and we think, how long is God going to put up with all this? You ever had that thought? How, how long is he going to let this continue on? I mean, there's wicked, there's just blatant, ungodly wickedness everywhere. And, and innocent people are suffering and hurting and they're helpless. God, how long until you judge? And so we have to trust in God's sovereign plan, that God's in control, He's the judge of all the earth, and His timing is perfect timing. We can't understand it from our perspective, but God knows what He's doing. Even if we think we can help Him along sometimes, God knows what He's doing. But if we're honest, we ask the question, how long will He wait to usher in judgment? The psalmist had the same question, which leads to another good question. Why would God wait if God is holy and there's wickedness to be dealt with, why doesn't God instantly deal with all wickedness? You ever thought about that? Why didn't you just do something about it? Well, God's patience does not indicate that the wicked get away with their behavior. Now look what it says back in Psalm 94. Look what it says in verse 7. They say... The Lord does not see. 
the God of Jacob does not perceive. So the evil are saying, we're getting away with our behavior. God doesn't see what's happening. We're going to get away with it. And look what happens next. Look at the psalmist says. Understand, O dullest of the people. He's calling the evil here dull. All right? Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? In other words, God made hearing. That's all him. So don't you think he can hear? He who planted, or who you formed the eye, does he not see? God gave people vision, so you don't think he can see the creator of vision? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He's the judge. Is he not going to respond to evil as the holy God who must punish evil? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, watch this, knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. So here's what he's saying. Just because God is delaying judgment does not mean the wicked get away with it. Let me say it again. Just because God delays judgment does not mean the wicked get away with it. And it's foolish for someone to think, well, God's not going to get me. I'm going to get away with this. H.C. Leupold writes this, there has perhaps never been a more devastating de demonstration of the foolish thinking which men occasionally become guilty of when they imagine that the Lord is not aware of what they are doing. It's foolish to believe that God's not aware of what you're doing. He hears everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. That's the point that the psalmist is making. So if God sees everything, and, and God hears everything, and God knows everything. Why the delay? Well, we get to the next point. God's patience, now watch this, is driven by mercy. Now, now let's think for a minute. You say, why doesn't God do something about evil? And what you might be saying with that question is, why doesn't God instantly eradicate evil the moment it happens? Question, do you really want God to do that? If God instantly eradicated evil the moment it happened, we'd all be eradicated. Right? So is that really the game we want to play? No, I'd rather deal with God's mercy. Because look what it says over in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Where some people were scoffing at the idea that God was going to return, that Christ was going to come back. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Actually, verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, here what the scoffers are going to say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So there are going to be folks that say, Jesus said he's coming back. The second coming of Christ. Where is he? Look at all the evil. Look at all the suffering. Look at all the brokenness. Where's Jesus? And look how Peter answers this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and though through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Okay, when's that going to happen? 
Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as, as one day. So from our perspective, a thousand years is a long time. From God's eternal perspective, it's like a day. Just like that, right? Now look in verse 9. Here's the principle. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will be unexpected. And so here's what Peter's saying. Don't scoff. One day the Lord will return to set everything right. But the reason he delays is because he wants to see more and more wicked folks, like the wicked folks sitting in this room, like the wicked preacher talking to you right now. He wants to see more and more folks that have sinned repent and be saved. And he's patient. He's, he's merciful. That's what this, this passage is saying. So why does God delay with ultimate, final, great white throne judgment because he is a God of mercy. Now there's coming a time when in his sovereign heart he will say it's, it's time. It's time to return and set everything right. We don't know when that time is going to be. If anyone tells you they know when that time is going to be, they're liars, they're false teachers, run. Don't walk from that kind of teaching, run from it. It's false teaching. But God knows. And one day he's going to return and set everything right. God's patience is driven by his mercy. So listen, no matter how bleak it looks from our finite human perspective, our limited temporal perspective, no one gets away with anything. God is the judge of the earth. He's going to set everything right. Period. That's the, the, what the Bible says teaches. No one gets with him. So back in Psalm 94, he's saying, you think you've gotten away with it. You haven't. He made the ear. He hears. He made the eye. He sees. He knows everything. He knows what you are doing. You haven't gotten away with anything. I read an interesting story earlier this year about a man in Pennsylvania named Robert Potter, 48 years of age, Robert Potter was arrested and charged with burglary, criminal trespass, and theft. You say, well, what did Robert Potter steal? He stole his neighbor's pot of meatballs. True story. His neighbor had the garage open. He had a, a big pot of meatballs there. The pot went missing. Somehow the neighbor suspected Robert Potter. He called the police. And they came, and they found Robert Potter in front of his house. Robert Potter denied some of the meatballs, but guess what? He had red sauce around his mouth and on his T-shirt. And the pot that the meatballs were in was sitting out on the street in front of his house. That guy thought, well, I might get away with this. He didn't get away with it, right? Not a smart criminal. But listen to me. Folks that think they get away with anything are just like Robert Potter. They think they've gotten away with it, but it's like you have red sauce on your mouth and red sauce on your shirt. God sees everything, right? He sees everything. And so this idea that, that God will not judge is a false idea. So how long will he wait to usher in judgment? We don't know. God's wise. He knows what's best. 
Why would God wait? Because He's merciful. Here's the third question. What should your posture be, what should my posture be, as we wait for God to perfectly righteously judge? All right, so God is going to judge everything. It's coming. He's going to righteously deal with all issues. So what should we do while we wait? Because life is hard. People are oppressed. People are hurting. People are broken. There's great wickedness everywhere. Unchecked wickedness everywhere. So, so what do we do while we're waiting? Back to Psalm 94, because it feels miserable sometimes, doesn't it? When you are surrounded by wickedness. Let me give you some thoughts. Let me give you one, two, three, four, five. Five, five things that just should describe your posture while you're waiting for God to come back and set everything right. All right? Number one, make sure you're saved. <laughs> you want to make sure that when He comes back, you're saved. You're, you've, you've been born again. Your sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to this earth, the second person of the Godhead. He left the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven. He took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born of Mary. He grew and lived a perfect, matchless life. He never sinned, never did anything wrong, never thought anything wrong, never said anything wrong. He was the, the spotless Lamb of God. And he came to this earth living a perfect life, fulfilling the law of God. And in obedience to the Father and based upon his love for you and me, he went to the cross, he went to Calvary, and allowed himself to be nailed there. And he hung there from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. And the Bible says on the cross, he took all of our sin on himself. Think about that. Every sin, every act of wickedness that's ever been committed was placed on Christ. He became sin for us. And the Bible says that on the cross, Isaiah 53, 10, the Father was crushing His Son. The Father was pouring out His wrath, punishing His Son with the punishment that you and I deserve. So on the cross, Jesus Christ was taking the wrath of God in our place. Why? Because He loves us. And after he died on the cross, he was buried. And early on that third day, he rose from the grave. He walked out of his tomb. And he's alive today and mighty to save. Isn't that good news? And he did all of that forgiven, sins washed away, reconciled to a holy God, adopted by God, whereby we can call him Father. So we don't fear his return. We look for his return. We say like John said, Maranatha, come Lord, come. Why? Because we know Him. We're rightly related to Him. Our future is heaven. Not because we're good, but because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. So listen, one day the Lord will return. There will be a great white throne of judgment. But those who are saved, their names are in the Lamb's book of life. So you don't have to stand before the great white throne of judgment. We just read about it. I don't want to be there. So as you think about God judging all the earth, step number one, make sure you're right with God. And by the way, all of the diversity and backgrounds and world religions and world views out there, when, when the Lord returns, there's only, only going to be two groups of folks. Those that know Christ and those that don't. And those that don't will stand before the great white throne of judgment, be judged according to their deeds on this earth, and be cast into the eternal lake of fire. But you don't have to go to hell. Because of what Christ has done. 
You deserve hell. I deserve hell. But Christ died in our place. So if you will place your faith in him, you will be saved. Look what it says back in Psalm 94. I got ahead of myself. Look what it says in Psalm 94. I'm going to show you this. Verse 8. Understand, O dullest the people, fools, when you be wise. He who planted the ear does not hear. He who formed the eye does he not see. So when you read that verse, there ought to be a little bit of fear and trepidation in your own life. Because I've done some sinful things. Am I the only one in here that's blown it? Am I the only one? Yeah, I've done, I've done, I've done some sinful things for sure. If a, if a video replay of my life was played on that screen right now for you to watch, I would hang my head in shame. And so would you. Right? So when we read that, we're thinking, well, uh-oh, this is not good. But look what he goes on to say in this psalm. Look what he says in verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold, my God, the rock of my refuge. So the psalmist here is saying, you know, I'm wicked. He sees all my wicked deeds, but I know him. He's my refuge now. He saved me. He's mine. I know him personally. So the first step is this. Make sure you are saved. There is no more important decision in your life or my life than making sure we are reconciled to God, ready to step into eternity. Make sure you're saved. So if you're here tonight and you say, wait, I, who, I don't know. I don't know if I have that nailed down. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. Did you know that, that you can get that nailed down today? Like, you could come talk to me after we're done. Just walk up to me or grab somebody close to you and say, I need to be saved. I don't want to stand before the great white throne of judgment. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that uh, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. <laughs> Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So tonight... I mean, even in, the, in your own, in the quietness of your own heart, you can bow your head and say, Jesus, I need to be saved. Come to my life and forgive me. And I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to follow you wherever you lead. And you can just cry out to him tonight and nail it down tonight. Make sure you're saved. God is love and God is judge. I promise you, the way that you want to experience God is as God of love. Second, what should your posture be as you wait for God to perfectly righteously judge? Learn from your trials. Learn from your trials. Now look what it says in verse 12 of Psalm 94. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. So here's what the psalmist is saying. This is really hard, Lord. I'm surrounded by evil, and I feel like we're being oppressed and mistreated, and we want you to set all of this right. But until you do, I see this as your discipline, as a father disciplining his child, teaching him some lessons about life. And so the psalmist here is saying, Help me to learn from this difficult situation. Warren Wearsby writes, The psalmist recognized the fact that the difficulties of life could help him, watch this, mature in his faith. If God, I love this, 
If God, it's going to offend some of you, okay? But just hang in there. If God immediately rescued his people from their personal difficulties, they would become spoiled brats and never grow in faith or character. Wow. So if God just never allowed hardship into our life, discomfort, unease, perplexity, if he never allowed that, we would never run to him and, and trust him and cling to him through difficult times, and we would never learn anything. Right? We'd become spoiled brats. I want my deliverance. I want my deliverance now. Right? I see my kids and I get that kind of that, I want, I want what I want now. Right? When God delays because of his mercy, because of his sovereign plan, he can use that delay in your life, in my life, to teach us some things. To help us to mature in our faith. To help us to grow. There, there are some things that you learn in the valley that you could not learn anywhere else. And I can let some of you folks come up here tonight, many of you folks, and, and, and have you share with us about some valleys in your life. And, and looking back, you would say, I would not trade that valley for anything now because of what I've learned, because of what God did in my life. Was it easy? No. Was it awful? Yes. Did I want it to be over with? Yes. Was it difficult? Yes. But God used it in my life. So the psalmist here is saying, until you return and set everything right, would you just help me to learn from this? Learn from this trial. Which leads to the third posture while we wait for God to set everything right. And I'll take some questions after we get through. Patiently wait for God. Look back in Psalm 94, verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until... A pit is dug for the wicked. So, so God is, is going to be there teaching you until he comes and deals with the wicked. And so right now, you and I are living in the until. We're here in a fallen world dealing with difficult circumstances and difficult people and overt wickedness until God sets everything right. We're living in the until, right? So what's our posture? patience. God knows what he's doing. God's sovereign. God's in control. He's on his throne. Just patiently wait for him. One day he's going to set everything right and his timing will be perfect. Next, rest in God's presence. Look in verse 14. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Let me read that again. For the Lord will not forsake his people. I don't think you heard it. For the Lord will not forsake his people. And he will not abandon his heritage. Isn't that good news? If you're his, you're his. You, you belong to him. And no matter what's going on in this crazy, topsy-turvy world, no matter what's going on in your life personally, if you're his, you're his. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll always walk with you through every valley. So learn to rest in God's presence. Is life hard? Yes. Is, does life cause us to scratch our heads sometimes? Yes. Is life perplexing? Do we understand it all? Yes and no. We don't understand it all. So what do we do? We, we rest in the fact that, hey, God's got it and God is with us. Rest in God's presence. And, and then finally, trust God for final resolution. Trust God for final resolution. 
Look in verse 15. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked, the psalmist says? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares, I love this verse, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Some translations translate cares, anxieties. You, you do know, don't you, that anxiety is at an all-time high in our society? Diagnosed anxiety. Clinical anxiety. It's all-time highs in our culture. And the psalmist here says, When the cares, the anxieties of my heart are many, your consolations, your comforts cheer my soul. Isn't that good news? God will help you in your, in your anxiety. If you ask Him, Verse 20. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? The answer is no. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. They're oppressing your people, God. But the Lord has become my stronghold, my God, the rock of my refuge. Now look in verse 23. Here it is. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. God will judge the wicked. So we should trust God for final resolution. God's going to come back and with perfect justice, perfect righteousness, He's going to set everything right. No one gets away with anything. You're either saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, or you're still in your guilt and your sin and will stand before the great white throne of judgment. It's just that clear. So we just need to trust the Lord for final resolution. James Montgomery Boyce writes, The wicked rejoice in their sin, saying, The Lord does not see. The righteous rejoice in God, who does see, and who will both punish sin and vindicate the righteous. It's a great summary of this entire psalm. The wicked rejoice in their sin, saying, The Lord does not see. The righteous rejoice in God, who does see, and who will both punish sin and vindicate the righteous. Trust God for final resolution. So as we look back at Psalm 94, it's about the judge of all the earth. He's going to judge the wicked, which raises some questions, right? How long? We don't know. Why? He, why is he delaying? He's merciful. In the meantime, in the meantime, make sure you're saved. Learn from your trials. Rest in His presence. Trust His final resolution. Patiently wait for God. That's a good summary of this 94th Psalm.